This is Africa Digest. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. Broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi and I'm in studio with Onelin Sensei, Tracy Boomgaard as well as Musibudi Makura. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Bobby Wine is living under military siege at his home on the outskirts of the capital Kampala. Nearly 6,000 people from Ethiopia's volatile Tigray region have now crossed the border to remote southeastern Sudan. And Cameroon police open investigations into a network of traffickers who allegedly buy and sell babies to other countries. Right now, though, it's time for your latest news bulletin. Here is Onelen Sinsi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. South Africa's former president, Jacob Zuma, will once again not appear on a commission probing suspicions of widespread corruption. The move has sparked legal repercussions within the country's legal fraternity. The former South African president testified only once before the commission in July 2019. Zuma withdrew after a few days. He argues that he was being treated as an accused and not as a witness. Zuma is still under law required to respond to the subpoena of the Zondo Commission and would otherwise be committing a crime for which he can be convicted and imprisoned. The internet has been partially restored in Uganda. This is almost five days after a near-total blackout was imposed across the East African country ahead of the election that saw President Yoram Museveni re-elected for a sixth term in office. A government spokesman stated that the internet shutdown had been imposed for alleged national security reasons. A non-governmental organization, NetBlock, an internet shutdown tracker, stated that according to their observation, the blackout appears to have been planned in advance. Rwanda has put the capital Kigali under a 15-day lockdown following a surge in COVID-19 cases. Health Minister Dr. Daniel Nga Major in a statement said the East African witnessing an acute rise is witnessing rather an acute rise in positive cases with 46% of the total cases and 60% of COVID-19 fatalities having been recorded in the last 50 days. Rwanda currently has 11,259 confirmed positive cases of COVID-19 with 146 deaths. On Monday, the country registered 227 new cases up from from 182 the previous day. Sarah Kimani reports. Under the new lockdown regulations, travels between Kigali and other places are banned and public transport in the city is suspended. Businesses will also remain closed and both private and public sector workers will be expected to work from home. Essential services are excluded from the restriction and tourists are permitted to leave the capital city with tourism activities continuing in strict adherence with COVID-19 health regulations. While city schools, including universities, have suspended classes for two weeks, schools outside Kigali will continue learning in adherence to the COVID-19 measures. Out of the 227 new cases, 139 were in Kigali. Kigali accounts for 61% of new positive cases in Rwanda since January, according to the Rwanda Biomedical Center. 
The European Parliament has called for further sanctions to be instituted against Russia for the arrest of opposition activist Alexei Navalny. A judge in Moscow has ruled that Navalny must remain in custody for at least 30 days. Another hearing next week will determine whether he will complete a three-and-a-half-year prison sentence for alleged embezzlement. Navalny was arrested on his return to the country on Sunday. The chairperson of the EU Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee says Navalny's arrest breached Russian laws and flouted a European Court of Human Rights judgment. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg. The police station where Alexei Navalny had spent the night doubled up as a courtroom. At a hearing, Mr Navalny dismissed as a mockery of justice, he was remanded in jail for 30 days. But Russia's most prominent opposition activist may end up spending far longer behind bars. The Moscow prison service has applied to convert Mr Navalny's previous suspended sentence for embezzlement, a case he insists was fabricated, into real prison time. Lastly, rescuers in eastern China are continuing efforts to reach 12 miners who have been trapped 600 metres underground for more than a week. A phone line has been set up to talk to the ground. The BBC's Stephen MacDonald reports. With underground water at dangerous levels, officials say they're considering using submersible pumps to try to clear some of it away. The establishment of a phone link with trapped miners has brought more detail of their current condition. They said that for a while they were able to communicate with a colleague stuck 50 metres below them, but that this contact had now been lost. Via a long, thin communication tunnel, nutritional liquids, porridge and medicine have been delivered. The workers said that they were thankful that this helped restore energy, that they were doing better. Channel African News, I am Onelin Sinsi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. From Uganda comes a report that presidential election loser Bobby Wine is living under military siege at his home on the outskirts of the capital Kampala. The siege comes four days after Yoweri Museveni was declared the winner of this year's presidential election. James Shimanyula reports. Pop star and controversial Ugandan opposition politician Bobby Wine, aged 38, has been living under siege since the 16th of this month when he lost to 76-year-old Yoweri Museveni in this year's closely contested presidential election. Deo Akiki, spokesman for Uganda People's Defense Force, in short UPDF, explains why Bobby Wine is under siege. It is for his better security and is for the security of the people who are around him. If you realize an area where Honorable Bobby Wayne is, there is heightened security across the entire general area. Some people are restricted from doing what they want to do at his home. Adding weight to remarks made by a spokesman for Uganda People's Defense Force, Fred Enanga, spokesman for Uganda Police, said surveillance teams that are there and uh, we are trying to counter any plans of uh, violent demonstrations and uh, also mass riots. It's not that uh, Honorable Chagulanyi is under house arrest and so on and so forth. Chagulanyi, that police spokesman Fred Enanga is referring to, is one of the names for Bobby Wine. In fact, Bobby Wine's real name is Robert Chagulanyi Sentamu. 
And speaking in the Ugandan capital Kampala, President Yoweri Museveni means to know what when he spoke tersely on Bobby Wine. He's wasting his time. This may turn out to be the most cheating-free election in the 58 years of Uganda's independence. As President Museveni has said, the 2021 presidential election may, as he put it, turn out to be the most cheating-free election. However, Arias Lukwago, mayor of Kampala City, dismisses the president's assertion that 2021 presidential election may turn out to be the most cheating-free election. It is the worst election we have had in this country. That's what I would say. And it was a mockery of democracy. It was just violence and brutality. Right now, myself, I'm prepared to fight against rigging. Narrating what happened before the siege at Bobby Wine's house started, one of his spokesmen, Matthias Mpuga, had this to say. We are aware that the military jumped over his fence and continued to litter around his compound, including using his utilities like water and power for free without his consent. We demand for the immediate and unconditional release of our leader and the immediate declaration as a duly elected president of the republic. The results announced do not in any way relate to the presidential elections in which he participated. We therefore reject them and ask all Ugandans to reject them. Now, one of Bobby Wine's lawyers, Benjamin Katana, has vowed to take legal measures after Uganda People's Defense Force soldiers prevented him from entering the pop star's home. As his lawyers, we cannot watch when his rights are being violated. We would like to indicate that we are going to take up legal measures, including court action, to challenge his continued illegal detention and that of his wife. We demand that the government respects the rights of the Honorable Chagorani Sentamu. Participating in an election is not a crime. As has been said moments ago, Sentamu is Bobby Wine's surname. His full name is Robert Chagulani Sentamu. Meanwhile, in a related development, as Bobby Wine remains under military siege, with hundreds of local and foreign journalists pitching camp outside his home on the outskirts of Kampala, Charity Ahibisiwe, executive director of a Ugandan non-governmental organization known as the Citizen Coalition for Electoral Democracy, has disclosed the number of journalists that were intimidated and threatened during the election. We already had a hundred cases of journalists who were intimidated, who were threatened, who were assaulted for the sake of cooling down that anxiety and for trying to build reconciliation at a tense time. I think it is important that the journalists are allowed to access him. We saw a lot of tribalism being fomented on social media. We saw people talking about they come from this tribe, they have mistreated us. An election is not pronounced on election day alone. There are issues that happen from the time the roadmap is launched towards the end of campaigns. That was Charity Ahibisiwe, executive director of a Ugandan Inani governmental organization known as Citizen Coalition for Electoral Democracy. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Nearly 6,000 people from Ethiopia's volatile Tigray region have now crossed the border to remote southeastern Sudan after more than two months of fighting, many with just the clothes on their back. 
The emergency has created a massive protection challenge for the UN Refugee Agency in Sudan, the UNHCR, which is doing everything it can to provide what they need. As spokesperson Axel Bishop tells UN News' Daniel Johnson. I've just been on a mission to the east where I have looked at the response in relation to the refugee influx from Ethiopia. Right, so we're going to talk about the refugee influx, which comes after two and a half months of fighting. What are the numbers now that you're seeing seeking shelter over the border of Sudan from Ethiopia's northern region of Tigray? So we have about 58,000 Ethiopians which have actually entered into Sudan. At the moment, the influx is between two to 500 people daily coming across the border. They're coming in through two border areas, Hamdayet and Lugdi. That number coming over, two to 500 a day, that's a lot less than it was. But are you suggesting that perhaps people are just too far away from the border to get to safety across the border now? Yes, the first influx which we saw came from the villages on the western side of Tigray. At the moment, the people which we are seeing are people who have walked for some time. What we see is that maybe we have an indication that the western side has been emptied and the people who are seeking shelter now come from further away. What are they telling you? What are their needs? So, I mean, most of the people have uh, actually entered Sudan without anything. So they come with their clothes, but many, many few coming with no possessions at all. What we hear is that many come without documentation, which is also something which we are trying to address. The first influx came in relation to direct fighting. The influx which we have now, the people are telling us that it's more in relation to the fact that they don't feel safe in Tigray, not so much because of the fighting, but because they are from the Tigray area. So do you have an idea about what the level of fighting is in Tigray today? What is your access? You know, we are working on the Sudan side and our office in Addis Ababa is actually trying to gain access. Now, what we are doing is trying to relocate them from the border areas further inland. And we have two camps at the moment, which are some distance from the border where border conflict should not be a problem. Okay, but I'm just concerned that there's no access to hundreds of thousands potentially of people on the other side of uh, the border of Sudan with Ethiopia who who, who need essential food, water uh, and other services. Um, There's a reported rise in malnutrition from the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs and they cited bureaucratic obstacles in, in getting access to people who need it. So what's the latest you have on potentially getting help to these people in need? Yeah, I mean, as we are sitting here on the Sudan side, we are focusing on the influx which has come across the border from Ethiopia and We also have offices in Ethiopia which are dealing with the people who have moved inside the Tigray area, but also inside Ethiopia more at large. So let's talk about two and a half months into this conflict in the northern region of Tigray in Ethiopia. You're trying to relocate um, tens of thousands potentially of refugees because you've got camps further inland in Sudan. Could you maybe explain what the difficulties are? First of all, it's always a challenge to actually find land. Land is something which is owned here by individuals, but also by government. And we have been working together with the government of Sudan. We uh, got a piece of land which uh, is an old camp site which is called Umrakuba, 
where we have placed about 20,000 refugees at the moment. Here we have within, uh, I would say, a short span, been able to at least host them in tents, but also ensure water, health and food. The second site which we have, because Umra Kuba has been saturated, is Teneba. It's further away than Umra Kuba, and it takes about 12 to 14, sometimes 16 hours to actually have the buses leaving the border area, arriving at the campsite, which therefore makes it arrivalist in the middle of the night. Now, the campsite is located in a very remote area where we don't have any electricity. And we are concerned that actually offloading these amounts of people in the middle of the night with no light is something of a concern to us. We are trying to do this now in such a way that we have larger area, a rub hole set up where we host people until we have the sunlight out again and then we give them the tents which have been set up for them. Sure. And final question to you, Mr. Bishop. We are two and a half months into this conflict. Are refugees telling you that they are hopeful of being able to return amid this fighting between Tigrayans and the Amarans in the northern region of Ethiopia? Many of the refugees are still hopeful, but I think that what we see is that people are here for a longer term. And while we have had some people expressing hopes to return. They would like to return to the Tigray, which was there some three months ago, not to the new uh, situation which they have heard about. So uh, we think that this will take some time. And that's Axel Bishop, spokesperson for the United Nations Refugee Agency, talking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. The Cameroon police has opened investigations into a network of traffickers who allegedly buy babies from the Central African state to sell in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Some members of the network, believed to have illegally sold scores of children, have been arrested in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé, with babies they had bought and a mother who said she wanted to sell her unborn child because she is poor. The mother was also arrested. Moki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Badwin Gweha, senior official of the Gendarmerie Post at Mimboman, a Yaoundé neighborhood, says he arrested 41-year-old Pierre Ezola for carrying out an activity that violates human dignity. C'est en ligne, il n'y a pas de bureau. Esola tells Cameroon police that all negotiations with potential buyers and sellers of babies are by telephone. J'ai été contacté par une femme du Congo. Je causa sur WhatsApp avec elle, avec elle et son mari. Je me demande est-ce qu'il n'y a pas une possibilité. He says he found a Congolese woman on social media who was offering to help teenage and single mothers to take care of their newborn babies. 
He says he immediately contacted the Congolese woman through WhatsApp and told her that many young girls with unwanted pregnancies in Cameroon need help. He says he recorded and sent videos of poor teenage mothers to the woman in Congo. He says while in Cameroon, the woman disclosed to him that she had another partner who helps her to buy babies from the coastal Cameroonian city of Douala. Esola said his intention is to help poor mothers, especially teenagers, who abandon their babies on the streets because there is no one to help take care of the babies. Cameroonian police report that last year, several hundred children were abandoned on the streets by poor mothers. At least two dozen babies were either killed or found dead after their mothers abandoned them. Gweha says Esola is part of a network that sells Cameroonian babies in the DRC. He says among those already arrested is an online trafficker who facilitates the buying and selling of newborn babies. He says the Cameroonian police have also arrested two mothers who sold their babies, two women from the DRC who bought babies and a babysitter the women paid to take care of the newborns in Yaoundé. He says the four babies recovered from the traffickers have been handed over to the Chantal Bia Hospital in Yaoundé for medical follow-up and care. Gweha said the buyers paid $2,000 for a one-day-old baby who was still very fragile and $6,000 for children that were healthy and more than three months old. The police said the children were hidden in a Yaoundé house and fed infant formula. The children were given injections that put them to sleep. The presence of a pregnant girl near the house and cries of the children however caused neighbors to alert the police. Gweha said it was not the first time the women from the DRC bought Cameroonian children, but said that because of the investigation, he could not reveal the identities and towns of origin of the Congolese women. Betty Nancy Fonyui, manager of the Yaoundé-based Timely Performance Care Center, says poor mothers could seek services of organizations like hers that take care of vulnerable and poor children. Look like Timely Performance Care Center. We take care of the vulnerable children in the society. Means that children that the parents cannot be able to take care, especially special need kids. They bring them to the center. We take care of them. We feed them. We clothe them. We even send uh, even aids in their homes so that par the parents can take care of them. There are so many centers out in Cameroon that are out there to help. Timely Performance is one of them. And so many others. It's just for you to go around and find out information. Poverty in Cameroon is not that bad to make people sell their children out. And those that are trafficking children, selling children to other nations, this is very wrong. Those people should be punished. There are no statistics on the illegal buying and selling of children in Cameroon, but the Central African state 
says childless couples within and out of its borders are increasingly buying or stealing babies and claiming ownership. Cameroon says it is also working to dismantle networks of child traffickers among Cameroon, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea and Chad. The 2020 Trafficking in Persons report by the U.S. State Department states that Cameroon also is a source, transit, and destination country for children subjected to forced labor and sex trafficking. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to bath. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. After 10 years of providing free and continuous care for HIV patients with late stages of the disease and other medical services in the Centro de Referencia do Alto Mai, otherwise known as CRAM in Mozambique's capital Maputo, Doctors Without Borders or MSF says it is handing over its medical activities. To hear more about how this will unfold, we're joined on the line by Anna Gabriela, Medical Coordinator at MSF. Anna, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Now, Anna, how would you des- how would you describe the HIV burden in Mozambique yes. according to what numbers say? Yes, perfect. Yes. Okay, no problem. I'll be waiting. Uh, you can use Anna Gabriela. It's okay. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to bark. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose, or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick.
Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Southern Africa, the African perspective. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. Seventeen twenty-nine Central African Time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Magesi. It's now time to hand over to Onelensinsi for your latest news headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. South Africa's former president, Jacob Zuma, will once again not appear on a commission probing suspicions of widespread corruption in the country. Malawi is set to roll out a first set of anti-COVID-19 restrictions this week after the president overruled a court ban on lockdown measures to tackle a surge in cases. And U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has moved to dismiss a new White House decree on COVID travel rules as Donald Trump enters his final full day in office. Channel Africa News, I am Onelensinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. After 10 years of providing free and continuous care for HIV patients with late stages of the disease and other medical services in the Centro de Referencia uh, do Alto Mai, otherwise known as CRAM in Mozambique's capital Maputo, Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, says it is handing over its medical activities to hear more about how this will unfold. And we are joined on the line by Anna Gabriela, medical coordinator at MSF. Anna, thank you very much for joining us. I didn't know if I should... Call again, but I was waiting. Yep. Hello, Anna. Okay. 
Unfortunately, it seems like we yeah, are having difficulties you. with that line, so we shall uh, try and get her back at a later stage, or maybe even tomorrow, um, for the breakfast show. But right now, it is time for us to move on. The head of the UN Migration Agency, IOM, is strongly advocating for governments everywhere to respect the fundamental right of healthcare when it comes to ensuring vulnerable migrants and the displaced uh, get equal access to COVID-19 vaccines. In an interview for UN News, Antonio Vitorno wants migrants to be included in all plans. The agency's Yasmina Guerda began by asking the Director General to outline the overall impact of the pandemic on migrants and the displaced. COVID-19 has had an enormous impact on people uh, on the move. First and foremost, health impact. Because usually migrants live in very crowded, uh, livelihood places, households and of course they are prone to be infected and secondly with the lockdowns and with the travel restrictions there are almost three million migrants blocked stranded all over the world so there are health impacts and also social economic impacts very serious ones that uh, underline the vulnerabilities of migrants everywhere in the world it seems now that there's not really going to be vaccines for everyone immediately and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit what are IOM's recommendations regarding the, the prioritization and the inclusion of migrants in uh, the various vaccine plans that national governments are putting in place. We strongly advocate to have migrants, refugees, internally displaced people fully include in the vaccination plans, irrespective of their legal status. Because as the Secretary General of the United Nations has said very clearly, no one is safe until everybody is safe. So the reasoning for the interest of the host communities is also to guarantee that the migrants, irrespective of their legal status, have access to national vaccination plans. And what does that mean exactly? Are you asking for a special treatment? No, not a special treatment. It's to follow the criteria that are used for nationals being applied to non-nationals, which means recognizing those who are in more vulnerable positions, who have comorbidities, who have, because of their age, take risks, extra risks of being contaminated. So it's an equal treatment. But in this equal treatment, everybody should be included. And do you feel like governments around the world are receiving that message and are understanding the importance of basing their prioritization on public health principles rather than immigration status principles? I think that there are quite a number of countries worldwide. For instance, Texas, uh, the state of Texas in the United States or Portugal, or even countries in Latin America like Ecuador, who are uh, accepting the presence and the access of migrants to not just the testing uh, mechanisms, but also now to the vaccination mechanisms. But I still think that there are a number of countries that have not realized that it is in the interest of the entire host community to have migrants fully integrated in the vaccination plans. So there is work to be done. Many migrants uh, are finding um, themselves in, a, in irregular situations and may fear uh, that they could be arrested or deported uh, if they show up to get vaccinated. What can a government do in order to preempt that? I think that there is a basic principle, which is the respect for the fundamental right of health care. And that's why WHO and IOM supports the claim for universal health coverage.
And we know that is a difficulty there because sometimes migrants, especially the ones who are in irregular situation, are reluctant to have recourse to the national health system because they are afraid of being detained or deported. The key issue is to guarantee trust and mutual confidence with those migrants and to guarantee them that there will be no law enforcement implications for having access to the health care and especially to the vaccination process. And those who feel like maybe um, the vaccine has not been properly checked, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy going around, not just on the COVID vaccine, on other vaccines as well. What is your message to migrants and displaced persons around the world regarding the COVID-19 vaccine? I think that vaccines always have some risks. But at the current situation, at the current moment, I think that there is sufficient evidence from the scientific and technical point of view that the vaccines that will be available are safe and they guarantee the protection of the persons against the virus. So, my message is very clear. I think that it is absolutely necessary that each one takes care of his own health. Acting responsibly, using the mask, washing the hands, but at the same time having recourse to the vaccines that is a tool, a medical tool, put at their disposal to protect them against this very aggressive virus that we are confronted with. And finally, um, what uh, is IOM doing or planning to do in order to support governments in these vaccination campaigns they're leading? IOM has a network worldwide of more than 70 clinics and more than 20 laboratories uh, everywhere in the world, in all regions. We have been very much involved in supporting governments in the testing during the first phase of the pandemic. And we are ready to engage in supporting the governments in setting up national vaccination plans and also in supporting with the necessary staff to assure that migrants are fully included in the vaccination process. And that's Antonio Vitorino, Director General of the United Nations Migration Agency, talking to Yasmina Guerda. Nigeria's National Agency for Food, Drug and Administration Control was warned against fake coronavirus vaccines in the country, where 10 million real doses of the shots are expected to arrive in March. This following reports that there are fake vaccines circulating in Nigeria already. Collins Atohengbe reports. The rise in the number of infected persons in the country has increased the level of awareness, both to prevent the spread and to take care of the affected persons through approved medical processes at designated centers. Climbing into its place of 100,300 in the number of confirmed cases, Nigeria has continued to give assurance to its citizens that vaccines needed to secure people's lives are expected to start turning into the country at the end of January 2021, even though it is not quite certain which brand is expected to reach Abuja's hands first. Why confirming the presence of fake COVID vaccines in the online market? NAVDAC Director General Moji Adeyeye says attention was also given to the development of local herbal products. We now have fake vaccines in the online markets. There is no commodity like that that can enter the country without the approval of NAVDAQ. The NAVDAQ started an initiative 2019 March. Uh, we inaugurated the Herbal Medicine Product Committee that is made up of researchers and uh, Herbal practitioner. Actually, we 
take for granted uh, vegetables or plants uh, that God has surrounded us with. Many of the plants have uh, flavonoids, antioxidants, trace minerals good for the body. Uh, so there are many things that are natural that if we eat right, they can actually improve our health. The former president of Nigerian Academy of Science, Professor Oyewale Tomori, says there is no definite information to get the citizens ready for the type of vaccines they might be getting, despite the much publicized information of the country getting delivery of vaccines at the end of January 2021. I hear the federal government has put 400 billion for to buy vaccines. They don't even know which vaccine they are buying. So how many doses do you know they are going to get? On what are they basing their 400 billion when you don't know which vaccine you are going to get? These are some of the areas where I said we have a problem with planning in this country. People should have known by now that we are likely to get it from this spot. This is the kind of vaccine you are going to get. These are the kind of reactions you get from that vaccine. This is what happens. That information should be made available. The information we are getting on, on the uh, social media is all the contrary information about, about vaccines. And that's what the people hear, and that's what they believe. So where's the success? You are talking of vaccinating 50% of people. Suppose they refuse to come for vaccination. Are you going to read the 50%? The Secretary of the Nigerian Academy of Science and Virologist, Dr. Doyin Odubanjo, is concerned that though the pandemic is the face of the COVID infection, there are other things which come along with it, taking the people by storm. For instance, he says fear is one formidable pandemic within a pandemic that needs to be conquered. In his view, a lockdown is an extreme measure which should not be applied often because of associated effects. Um, we have a pandemic which people are focusing on, which is the virus, uh, but several pandemics come with it. You know, there is the fear, people are scared stiff. So there are all kinds of things that it brings along with it, in so much that it makes it a very complex thing to deal. When we did have the first lockdown, we saw what happened even in Lagos. We saw how people became scared even in their houses, that they might be invaded. Uh, we saw all kinds of things, insecurity, uh, violence, uh, domestic violence on the rise, you know. So there are things that come along with it. So the real question then will be, can you afford it? Can you afford another one? The lockdown is an extreme measure, an unusual measure to use in the control of an epidemic like this, which you don't want to use too often or for too long because of the problems that will come along. One of such problems is the fact that in the midst of reported increases in the infection rate, students have been told to return to classes despite argument in some quarters that schools should remain shut for some time more. Ani Basi Eyo, a social activist in the UK, says some of the problems in Nigeria will be lack of adequate preparation that could have helped to normalize situation especially in the rural areas where access to modern facilities are lacking. And when you look at some of the protocols that have been outlined, are these protocols affordable and available in our rural, a low income and a poorer neighborhood schools. How many children in low neighborhoods even have access to clean water to have their bath first of all, talk less of constantly washing their hands in schools? How many people have access to online learning? Taking a swipe at the general feeling that the vaccine could provide a panacea from the pandemic, Professor Tomori says people should not see vaccine as a magic wand that will solve the pandemic. Its place is just to prevent the infections from becoming a disease. 
Vaccine is not the solution to the problem. If you get a vaccine, you develop immunity. What the vaccination does is prevent your infection becoming disease. As at last count, Nigeria has recorded 110,387 infected persons with 1,435 deaths and a total of 89,317 discharged after treatment. The plan is to have 70% of Nigerians vaccinated by the end of 2022. That is an ambition that has fired the quest to get the vaccines. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa to him before Channel Africa News. Seventeen forty-four Central African time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Magesi. Right after this, it's time for your latest economics news with Tracy Boomgard. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. Thank you, Samora. The Kenya National Union of Teachers has threatened to call a nationwide teacher strike by the end of January if the Teachers Service Commission continues to starve the union of its dues. The union has accused TSC of meddling with its register of members. The union has urged teachers to stand firm and defend the outfit despite the predicament it is facing. Nigeria has reportedly written to the African Union requesting 10 million COVID-19 vaccine doses to supplement the COVAX program and has allocated 26 million US dollars for licensed vaccine production. Nigeria, like other countries across Africa, including AU Chair South Africa, is grappling with a second wave of the coronavirus. The AU has secured a provisional 270 million COVID-19 vaccine doses from manufacturers for member states. Nigeria explores options of licensed production in collaboration with recognized institutions. The government is already in talks with some manufacturers. Rwanda's Environment Management Authorities called on the country to consider shifting to electric vehicles in an effort to beat air pollution. Rema made the call when taking delivery of its first electric vehicle that will be used to to support the institution's mandate of environmental protection. Road vehicles, mean cars, trucks, buses and two- and three-wheelers, account for nearly three-quarters of transport CO2 emissions and are a leading contributor to climate change and air pollution, especially in cities. Over $1 billion US dollars is needed to convert 20% of personal motor vehicles to electric vehicles, including supporting infrastructure. General Electric is proposing to freeze the accrual of pension benefits for almost 3,000 employees in the United Kingdom to cut costs. The company says its pension benefit obligation in the UK was about 14 million 
rather 14 billion US dollars at the end of 2020. The changes to the UK pensions are likely to come into effect on the 1st of January 2022. Markets in Asia ended mainly higher. Japan's Nikkei rose by 1.5%. Mainland China's markets was nearly 1% lower. Hong Kong's Hang Seng increased by 2.7%, while markets in India are around 1.5% firmer at the close of trade. One U.S. dollars trading at 385.60 Nigerian Naira, 10.93 Botswana Pula, 109.11 Kenyan Shilling and 21.31 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollars trading at 5.28 Brazilian Hale, 73.95 Russian Ruble, 73.21 Indian Rupee, 6.48 Chinese yuan and at 15.23 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 73 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,843 and platinum at $1,100 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $55.17 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. And now for your latest sporting news, here's Musubi Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, India pulled off a record run chase in a thrilling final session to hand Australia their first defeat at Brisbane's Gabba Ground since 1988 and clinch the first, or rather the four-test series 2-1 earlier on Tuesday. Now, leading 328 runs to win, India got home with just three um, overs to spare. Australia had not been uh, beaten at the Gabba since falling to Viv um, Richards' all-conquering West Indies side, but Nine wickets in uh, November 1988. Now, India's 329 for seven also smashed the 69-year-old record for the biggest run chase at the Gabba set by Australia, who scored 238 runs for seven to beat the West Indies in 1951. Now, the series win was a remarkable achievement considering that India were bowled out for uh, their lowest test score of 36 to lose the first test in Adelaide before bouncing back to win the second in Melbourne 
Gorn. The visitors, ravished by injuries and Captain Virat Kohli's absence for paternity leave, then battered throughout the final day to draw the third test in Sydney. On to football news, Zambia's Chipolo Polo will uh, try to make it another good start in the ongoing Total African Nations Championship in Cameroon as they did in Morocco in 2018. Three years ago, Zambia opened the Chan campaign with a 3-1 win over Uganda. This time, they will kick off their Group D campaign against Tanzania's Taifa Stars in the coastal city of Lembe. Um, tonight, the match kicks off at 7 p.m. Central African time at the Lembe Omnisport Stadium. Back in 2009, the two sides faced off at the Chan, um, in the Chan Maiden tournament in Cote d'Ivoire in a game that ended in a one-all draw. In the other match taking place today, or rather tonight, Guinea are up against Namibia at 10 p.m. Central African time, also at the Lembe Omnisports Stadium. The Cabinet Secretary of Sports in Kenya, Amina Mohamed, says preparations for the return of the Safari Rally into the World Rallying Championship in June this year are at an advanced stage. Amina says that the recent visit by the President of the Federation of Automobile Associations, that is Jean Todd, that gave the Kenya or the Kenya the thumbs up in terms of efforts to get all infrastructure ready. All the support that we needed, we have had no obstacles at all. Resources have been uh, given to us as and when we needed them. Uh, and all the support that we actually needed, whether it was moral support, whether it was uh, you know, the publicity that was required uh, to just encourage Kenyans on uh, the need to uh, participate as actively as, as they can. I think nobody has any doubt anymore that uh, Kenya is ready uh, to welcome uh, the safari rally back home. And uh, we hope that uh, now that it has uh, arrived, uh, that it will be here forever. Uh, that it will not move away from its original original home. On to tennis news, two Australian Open tennis players have tested positive for COVID-19 after arriving in the city of Melbourne. I'm in a growing controversy over the event. A third case involved a non-playing participant, according to the state of Victoria's chief health officer. Now, 1,200 people, including players, staff and officials, have flown into Australia for the tournament, which begins on the 8th of February and concludes on the 21st of February. And back home, Tennis South Africa has announced the appointment of a local tennis legend, Christoph van Rensburg, as South Africa's new Davis Cup captain. Van Rensburg succeeds Marcos Andrushka, who decided to step down after five years at the helm. Van Rensburg, who now resides in the United States, enjoyed a hugely successful tennis career and is one of South Africa's most well-known former players, including representing the country at both Davis Cup and Olympic level. He played on the professional tour from 1983 up until 1997 and reached a career-high ranking of number 19 in the singles format of the game, along with partner Paul McConaughey was ranked as the number one doubles team in the world. Van Riesbeek won the Australian Open doubles title back in 1985 and also enjoyed singles win over Ivan Lindell, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Boris Becker and Pete Rafter, during his career. He's also one of the only two men to have beat Pete Sampras in straight sets at Wimbledon. Those are sports news at the Sour.
This is Africa Digest. Let's wrap up this hour with Not Yet Uhuru by Letamburu. We'll see you again at 1900 hours Central African time.